भद्रंकर्णेसृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षा स्थिरंगस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्ती नस्ताक्षो अरिष्टनेमि स्वस्ती नो बृहस्पतिर्दधा ओं शांत शांत शांति हरि मे वी हियर विथ आवर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस मे वी सी विथ आवर आईज वॉट इज ऑस्पिशियस वाइल प्रेइंग विथ स्टेडी लिम्स मे वी अटेन द लाइफ स्पैन अलॉटेड टू अस मे इंद्र बेस्टो वेलबींग ऑन अस मे पुशन the god of earth who is all knowing bestow well-being on us may garura the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also bestow well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we started our discussion on the third mantra of the first chapter of first part of mundaka upanishad and there we saw that after enunciating the lineage the parampara but following which the knowledge of brahman the brahma vidya was transmitted from brahma himself to the shaunaka that lineage which is uh, to angirasa that lineage which was followed was being indicated in the first and in the second mantra and now to this rishi angirasa we found the renowned householder mahashala the one who is really great so to he, he approaches rishi angirasa with a question and there was a term which we were expounding in the last class that is vidhivat it's not that suddenly seeing a renowned person just to have to ask a question and i go and just out of curiosity i ask a question it doesn't indicate that the word vidhivat entails that already shonaka has developed the qualifications needed for brahma jigyasa to enquire about the knowledge of brahman so that after intellectually conceiving it one have the motivation to internalize that knowledge to make it the be all and end all of his existence so that the knowledge becomes the uh, in the words of swami vivekananda that it becomes a nervous association that it becomes a part of his stimuli response conditioning he starts responding to the stimuli in a totally different pattern 
and that also not by using his willpower. The realization brings a type of spontaneity. It just happens. Just the way spontaneously we respond to the stimuli at present in a particular way, which speaks of our identification with the body-mind complex. We find for a man of realization that stimuli response conditioning has been transformed. A sense of detachment has developed. He is no more responding to the stimuli the way he used to when he was in the realm of ignorance. So that's what the word bidhivat means, that he has already followed certain injunctions. And what are the injunctions that we were studying in the last class? We were studying in the last class elaborately that the requisite spiritual disciplines are the first Vedadhyayana. Vedadhyayana means to study the scriptures. Why it is important? Because that opens up the portal of a knowledge which is beyond the mind and senses. All the knowledge which we resort to in, in our present life is, with, is relative to the mind and senses. It is something which is beyond that. But it is not something which is irrelevant because on that, all the knowledge of uh, which we avail through our mind and senses, all that knowledge is merely a projection of that absolute knowledge. So that absolute knowledge of which the entire universe is a projection, that's the thing which Shonaka, desirous to know about it, has approached Angirasa, the great Rishi Angirasa. So first is a Vedadhyayana, <coughs> so that this portal opens up. After that, once you are aware of the spiritual dimension of your existence, and then comes the sadhana chatushtaya, viveka, vairagya, samadamadi, shat sampatti, and mukshatva. In the last class, we were studying it in details. That after the Vedadhyayana, when you become aware of the spiritual dimension of your existence, then the viveka, the discrimination arises. What is real? What is unreal? Nitya, anitya, vastu. Viveka, Vastu Vichara Viveka, that what is permanent, what is transitory, what is going to be with me, what is going to be my nature through eternity, that Nitya, Anitya, all the things, all the attributes which are adhering to my, to the essence of my personality, which are just a flow, which goes on changing, they're all Anitya. So Nitya, 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 Anitya, Vastu, Vichara, Viveka. So when that Viveka develops, from that comes Vairagya. Once you know that what is real and what is unreal, your dispassion for the unreal is bound to ensue. So that speaks of Vairagya, renunciation. And once that dispassion develops, now comes the practice of Sama, Damadi, Shat, Sampatti. Some six practices. What are they? Shama, Dhamma, then comes uh, Uparati, Titiksha, Samadhana, Sraddha. 
So these are the six practices which follows the vairagya. Sama means calming down the mind. Don't allow the mind to break into desires. First comes that. After that, the restraining of the external organs. Just as we were saying, we can never think of applying the brake of a car unless we have uh, stopped pressing the accelerator. I cannot just go on pressing the accelerator and at the same time press the brake. First, I have to release the accelerator. That speaks of disjunction of my mind from the constant hankering of the objects of the senses. Then comes the dhamma. No, the restraint. Then comes the break. I have to stop the karmendriyas and the ganendriyas from getting involved with the external objects. And then comes uparati. It's not easy. By little practice, I may feel that I have succeeded, but I will find the old ways of life are tormenting. It comes back again and again. And I have to be persevering in my practice. Again, I have to start afresh as if and practice the sama dhamma. This constant fluctuation uh, from sama and dhamma, constant divergence from sama and dhamma. For that, again and again, that uparati has to be practiced. Cessation of the sense organs, already restrained by sama and dhamma. And then comes titiksha. For all these practices, it entails to a certain extent suffering. It do enter suffering, but we have to be patiently forbearing all the suffering which enters from our spiritual practices without any complaint, without any anguish, without the concern that I don't know what is going to happen to me. So all those things speaks of the disturbance of the mind. The mind becomes more turbulent just by worrying about the future. As in English, very nicely, it has been uh, uh, quoted. What is that quotation? That worrying is like a rocking chair. You do something, but go nowhere. You're sitting in a rocking chair and rocking. You're doing something, but in the same place you're rocking, you go nowhere. All our worries are like that. It's of no avail. What will happen to me? Just by worrying that, can I change the course of my life? No. In no way I can change. So why the use, what's the use of just worrying? Instead of worrying, why not through uparati, I go back to my practice, whatever suffering it entails, I forbear. Knowing it well, it is just a passing phase. In no time through my practice, I will develop a sufficient, adequate, uh, control over my mind, over my senses, and then peace will ensue. The mind will calm down. The agitation will stop. And that will enter in the fifth practice, the samadhana. Samadhana means that the concentration of the mind, that which leads to samadhi, samadhana. And for all this practice, sraddha is essential. If by seeing that my mind is going back to my old ways, I think these are of no avail. The words of the scriptures are of no use. They are just something superfluous, words, which as such doesn't have any practical implication. If I disbelieve that, as the process is not something which is going to happen in a day, it's not like instant coffee. 
it has its own time. I have to have that patience, perseverance. And how that patience, perseverance comes through Sraddha. Having faith in the words of the scripture, of the Guru. They have told me that persevere, don't get disheartened. Let the practice go on. Gradually the change will come. So if I have Shraddha in the words of the Guru and the scriptures, then only the other practices are possible. And again, the fourth, the last practice is the Mumukshutta, yearning. Unless I have a real yearning for the spiritual illumination, there can never be this, uh, this, all the other practices are in no way possible. You won't get the motivation to do it. So that's why that Mumukshutva has been spoken of as the, in the last, but not the least, that is the most important factor. That unless I have yearning, other practices cannot even start. I won't get the motivation to do it. So those are the practices which speaks of that vidhi. So that's what we studied in the last class. Now today, the second line is very important on which the entire Upanishad rotates. That's what's the line? Kasminu bhagavo vikyati sarvam idam vikyatam bhavatiti. That, oh Bhagavan, knowing, knowing what's that by knowing which everything becomes known. Kasminu bhagavo vikyate by knowing which sarvam idam everything what I see idam in this world vigyatam becomes known bhavatiti it becomes known. So that's the question. Now this question suddenly you, you may feel that from where that question comes we shouldn't forget that Shonaka has already followed the vidhis. He has followed, he has, the, he has studied the scripture. He has studied the Vedas. And in the Vedas, that portal, that, that the spiritual portal has opened up. He knows, as has been mentioned in the Agama, in the scripture, that Brahman is the source of the entire existence from which the entire existence has been projected. So these are the things which he has studied in the Vedas, in the Upanishads. So he has studied the Agama. So now to really relate to that knowledge that he has studied it, but at the same time, he doesn't have sufficient understanding to intellectually conceive it. And after conceiving to make it the be all and end all of his existence. So that's why though he has studied from that study he has came to know that there is something which is being projected as the universe. So from Agama, he came to know not only that, there is Anumana, there are so many ways of knowledge. Inference, what's the inference? That when I see that all the ornaments which are made of gold, all the ornaments which are made of gold, the essence is the gold. What is the difference? Difference is only in Nama Rupa. The necklace has a particular name. It has a particular shape. The earring has a particular name, has a particular shape. So the bracelet has a particular name, has a particular shape. But all are in essence gold. 
The difference is only in the name and form. As Sri Ramakrishna told, used to say that uh, there was some, someone has developed a sculpture, a model of the entire village where there are many houses, there's a school building, there's a small uh, healthcare center, and all other things which constitutes the village, the agricultural field. So he, the person who has built up that model has made it with wax. So everything is actually in a sense wax. The difference is only in the name and the form. So this from Anumana, from inference, we know that in this world, whenever we develop something from the from clay, we are developing so many things. Pots, uh, the, what do you say, the various type of utensils, pots we are making from clay. So clay is the essence. Everything, the difference is only in the name and form. So is there anything from that inference? Is asking that something from which the universe has projected. In essence, it is the same. The differentiation lies only in the name and form. So that's from Agama as well as from Anumana. This question is something which is obvious. And that's what Shonak is asking. As we will find in the Chanda Kyubanishad, in the, in the fourth mantra of the first chapter in the sixth part of Chanda Upanishad. What's the mantra? That's the same idea which we were discussing. That yatha somya kena yatha somya ekena mrit pindena sarvang mrinmayam vigyatam syat O somya O the good looking one Somya is good looking one who, or the one whose mind is pure Somya O Somya The teacher is instructing Shwetaketu, the student, that just the way Mrithpinda, with a lump of clay, all the things that are made of clay is Mrinmaya. Mrinmaya means Mrithmaya, is nothing but clay. It is Maya, Maya means pervading. Whenever you use the word Maya in Sanskrit, that means pervading. Chinmaya pervaded with consciousness. Similarly, Mrinmaya, it is pervaded by clay. Anything which is made of clay is pervaded by clay. Vigyatam You know it for certain. You know it for certain that anything which is made of clay is pervaded by clay. Then what is the difference between the two objects which is made of clay? Vacha rambhanam vikara namadheyam. It is Vacharamb. It is only mere usage of words. Vikara. It's just the transformation. It's clay in a particular way transforms. And I name it in a particular way. Namadheyam. And what's the reality in it? Mrittika ityeva satyam. It's only the lump of clay, the earth, that alone is the reality. So, this is the idea which is we find even in the Upanishads. Shaunaka, as he is approaching Angirasa Vidhivat, so naturally, obviously, he has studied all those things. And from that, he got the idea that there is something which 
is being projected as the universe. Sarvamidam, all the sense perceived objects of the world. So that's what in the non-dual Vedanta, we find this idea that how the world has come into existence. There are various vadas. One is Parinama vada. It is believed by the Sankhyas that there's a real transformation has happened. Just the way the milk gets converted into yogurt, that is Parinama. But in Vedanta, the idea is not Parinama. What it is? Adhyasa. It is Adhyasa vada, not Parinama. Something appearing as something else. And in Vedanta, the common example, a rope is lying on the ground. In the twilight hours, I see it as a snake. Or even I may see it as a crack in the ground. I may see it variedly because of ignorance. What happened? Because of the darkness, first, the real knowledge has been obscured. That speaks of Avarana. And when the real knowledge has been obscured, it results in Vikshepa. It appears as something else. Avarana, Vikshepa. First, the knowledge of the rope is obscured. That is Avarana. And then it is projected as the snake, that is a weak shape. So the Vedanta says that the absolute reality is appearing as the world because of adhyasa. There's no real change. In no way, the absolute reality is being affected. Under all conditions, it is as it is. All the changes, all the things which I see as this world of name and form is a mere projection. And now this speaks of the tenet, uh, one of the main tenets of Vedanta. Swami Vivekananda in one of his lecture very nicely have indicated it. To quote him, one peculiarity of the Hindu mind is that it always inquires for the last possible generalization, leaving the details to be worked out afterwards. So they're not bothered about the details. Just to give an, just to again resort to that example. If I know that the snake which I am seeing is actually the rope, then is the details of the snake of any use? The snake is mere projection. Why should I go for the details of it? Once I know that it is a projection of the rope, Till I know that it is a projection of the rope, all the details do have value. That Vyavaharika Satta, Satya, that for our day to day, uh, our, for practical purposes, our day to day uses, day to day practical purpose, they have some value as long as we are in the realm of ignorance. But as per the absolute reality is concerned, as per our real existence is concerned, which in no way is going to be affected. That has no value, the details has no value. That's why Vedanta is again and again stressing to go beyond the ignorance and to get established in that real knowledge. Once you get established in that, all the panorama, it immediately just collapses. No more it has any utilitarian purpose. And then you are free. So this is the basic idea in Vedanta, again and again, it will be stressed and spoken of. So here also, that's the same thing we find. The Sarvamidam, what that Sarvamidam is, 
what it is we are not bothered that as it is a projection of something why to go for the details of that projection let us try to find out what is being projected as that and once i know that the delusion falls off and that entails liberation so that's why that's this sense perceived world is of no uh, use to a vedantin it has no purpose as such its only purpose is to take us beyond the delusion through the process of adhyaropa apavad through the process of apavad that what i am seeing has is because of adhyaropa is because of some superimposition through apavad i can through the de superimposition i can again get established in my true nature so that's the idea which we find in the third mantra which has been enunciated that what's that knowing which everything becomes known very interesting now generally to this type of question even we would have said it's brahman by knowing which everything becomes known the guru might have just angirasa might, might have replied in one word there was no need for the elaboration of the interupanishad instead of doing that he never gives a direct answer to that question what he answers appears to be something which appears to be queer it's not the exact answer to the question it apparently appears that he is answering something which is in no way related to the question so let us go to that mantra and they will try to understand why he is answering in this fashion the fourth mantra of the first chapter of the first part of mundakopanishad the next mantra tasmai sa huvacha being asked so he said to him tasmai sa ha uvacha tasmai sa huvacha dwe vidve veditavye iti hasma there are two types of knowledge that has to be acquired yat brahma vido vadanti those the knower of the brahman they speak of two types of knowledge that have to be acquired both have to be acquired dwe avidye veditavye iti hasma brahma vido vadanti what are those two knowledge paracha eva aparacha parachaiva paracha paracha eva aparacha one is para higher knowledge so in you find these words sanskrit words sometimes if you try to relate with our original language it becomes easy to understand just in hindi say ye sabke par mein hai sabke par par means supreme so para means higher beyond which nothing is there which transcends everything and apara the lower that which is not para so there are two types of knowledge higher knowledge and lower knowledge so <clears throat> now the question comes that why the objection that when he has asked that what is that my knowing which everything becomes known to that question this can never be the answer but we should first understand that who is answering he is a brahmavid the knower of brahman so if we have shraddha that yes he is an authentic person why is an authentic person 
because he has followed the tradition. His parampara vid, he knows the tradition. And following the tradition, he went to the realization. So that's why he's authentic. Just the way when I am sick, I go to the doctor and doctor prescribes me some medicine. I have sraddha. I don't question that why you have prescribed this medicine. I simply go buy that medicine and I take that medicine. Knowing fully well what? The same, that this doctor has followed the parampara. There's a long research for years together going on in the medical science. That's our what that's what the, a medical student has to study. They have to follow the parampara. It's not that he has just by himself written, uh, read some books and proclaimed him to be a doctor like the quacks we find. He's not a quack. He's a registered, licensed doctor. He has studied the course. It's a long course. He has followed the parampara. And after studying, he has got established in that medical knowledge. And now he is an authentic person. So when I go uh, to approach him, if I don't have sraddha, if I start doubting the doctor, as many will be say that in Bengali they say, doctorer opor doctori, that we somehow have the habit of trying to drive the car sitting on the rear seat. So many of us do that. And then we find that medical science is of no avail. That going to the doctor, if you go to the dietitian and just start instructing him that, uh, that what all diet you are taking and how it is good instead of taking his suggestion. Because going to the dietitian is of no avail. So that sraddha is required that yes, here he is a Brahmavit. He is saying something. It must have some implication. That though the question is that what is that knowing which everything is known. When he replies, who is replying? It is not some lay person. Yet Brahmavido Vadanti. He is a Brahmavit in the question. In response to this question, what is replying? There are two types of knowledge. Paracha eva aparacha. Why he is replying that way? Very interesting. Why? Because the moment when you ask a question that what is that by knowing which everything becomes known, we at present with our state of existence, what's our idea is that all knowledge has to be acquired by the mind and the senses. That's what we have knowledge we have. That I go to the laboratory, my senses through the senses, I am just perceiving what's going on with the senses through the mind and by accessing the knowledge, accessing the information and processing them in the mind, the processing of the knowledge which I have already accessed through my senses, the knowledge is acquired. So I may have an idea that Brahma Vidya also is something which has to be acquired just the way, the same way I acquire all the knowledge through my mind and through my senses. So here if he says that Brahman, if I say that Brahman is, is the one who is being projected as the universe by knowing which everything can be known, Immediately I will think, show me Brahman. So here, just to take the necessary precautionary measure that immediately that one word answer won't be of any avail. The Guru is first making him, Angiras is first making him aware that don't think all knowledges can be acquired through the mind and the senses. 
there are two types of knowledge there is a type of knowledge which is beyond the realm of the mind and senses that's the higher knowledge that's not even in the purview of the vedas because the vedas i study it is my through the perception of the senses i'm studying the vedas i am uh, what you say that having a conception of it conceiving it through my mind so it is something beyond that even beyond the vedas that's the para everything all other things are apara all other knowledge is something which uh, for which to acquire which i have to use my mind and senses they are the criteria through which i can acquire knowledge they are all apara why he is saying that just as we told that to make us understand to make us aware of the fact that there is some knowledge which is beyond the purview of mind and senses now here comes science to say these are all bogus knowledge has to be the standpoint of all knowledge is the mind and the senses what i see what i conceive that alone is knowledge everything else is mere trash now you know very interesting there are so many ways you can suddenly become spiritual a wonderful fact is that many of the astronomers who went to the space suddenly you go out of this so called this small world which is the be all and end all of existence go to the space and see this little world where this life is there we find that we are so a tiny existence in the entire cosmos and suddenly it helps them that just going to the space what happens suddenly their mind gets detached it's very natural but when you go out of this humdrum seeing the world uh, compared to the entire space and you find that how small our existence is a sense of detachment develops and the key point the key to all spirituality is a detachment and it gives them to certain extent a spiritual it opens up the spiritual portal for many of the astronomers the astronomers are the one who are the product of science it is the scientists who have decided to venture the space and these astronomers have been trained for that and when they just go to the space they becomes bit spiritualistic they they become very spiritual and one of the very great astronomer his name is arthur eddington sir arthur eddington in his book the philosophy of physical science he is giving a wonderful analogy to explain that all the knowledge which we have through the mind and senses is not the be all and end all of all we know there is something beyond that just to claim that anything which is not perceivable by our mind and senses doesn't exist is like what a wonderful analogy is giving suppose <clears throat> you are exploring the life of the ocean that what all life is there on the ocean a person a biologist is exploring the life of the ocean and he casts a net into the water throws a net into the water 
and and he then pulls back the net he brings up his catch and he just studies the catch he surveys the catch and then he comes to a decision what's that that there is no sea creature which is legs less which is smaller than 2 inch it's all the smallest size is 2 inch all other creatures are bigger than that the minimum size of any ocean creature is 2 inch and all sea creatures have gills so now would you say his knowledge is correct yes his knowledge is correct in one way that whatever he has caught is of course is not shorter than 2 inch and they all have gills but the question is what about the catch itself what about the net by which you are catching the nets each the the dimension of the uh, holes of each net of the net the space uh, in uh, uh, of the each of those holes in the net is something 2 inch so naturally anything smaller than 2 inch has to pass through it and now you have the catch and say that no creature in the ocean is smaller than 2 inch so is your knowledge correct so what a nice example arthur eddington is uh, illustrating in his book the philosophy of physical this physical science that's what the mistake we are doing that our senses and the mind is like that fish fishers fisher fisherman's net it has particular dimension it has certain limitations it has to work within those limitations and to say that what i see through my senses what i perceive through my mind alone is true everything is is false is just like that fisherman that biologist who says that there is no sea creature lesser than 2 inch long and they all have gills so thus our sensual knowledge which is streamlined by the mind and senses cannot be the entire gamut of knowledge and that is the thing which angiras wants to point out to sonaka that wait don't be in such a hurry that to just you have studied the scripture and you think i will just like a scripture give you a multiple choice question you are asking and i give you the correct answer it is not that easy so to make sonaka aware of the fact that his question cannot be answered from the perspective of sensual perceptions it cannot be answered but he has to transcend it so angiras points out that there are two types of knowledge paravidya and aparavidya higher knowledge and lower knowledge after saying that now he will illustrate what is higher knowledge and what is lower knowledge in the fifth mantra what is the higher knowledge and what is the lower knowledge first he will describe the lower knowledge all the gamut of knowledge so called academic knowledge that was available in those days has been spoken of as the lower knowledge let's read the mantra tatra apara that let's speak of the apara the lower knowledge what rigveda yajurveda samaveda atharvaveda shiksha kalpo व्याकरण निरुक्त छंद ज्योतिष सो वॉट आर दिस अपरा ऋग्वेद 
Yajurveda, Samaveda, Atharvaveda, the four Vedas. So this Veda, the word Veda, nowadays we think that a particular book, but actually the word Veda came from Vidhatu. Vid means to know. And Veda means knowledge. Encyclopedia. Veda actually means encyclopedia. That all knowledge is encompassed just as the way in the, you know, that we have this encyclopedia, which has all the available fund of knowledge. So Veda also means encyclopedia. All the knowledge in those days, which the rishis have discovered, discovered, means these words are so important. The Vedas are, they say, apurushaya. Apurushaya means there is no author. That knowledge cannot be patented. The rishis were humble enough to admit to the fact that knowledge cannot be patented because knowledge is already there. When I say Newton discovered gravitation, was gravitation not there before Newton? It was there. That was there. What Newton did, he just removed the cover of the ignorance, discovered. And we all came to know about gravitation. Similarly, the rishis, that's why you will find in the entire Vedas, most of the places, the rishis' names are not mentioned because they felt that this knowledge is just a discovery. It is already there. I am not the author of it. So this fund of knowledge in those days, it actually means, Veda means actually encyclopedia. It is a power to share. These words we will find so many ways of interpretation. But the real meaning is that knowledge cannot be patented. That is, that's why it is no Purusha has, is the author of it. A Purusha. It is universal. It is always there. The Rishis only discovered it. And that's the collection of that knowledge. This encyclopedia is the Veda. That was divided into four parts. Rik, Yaju, Sama, Atharva. So what are these Vedas? The Rik is the, as you know that when we write something, sometimes it can be written in poem. It can be written in prose form. It can be set to music. Or this can be used for our, this knowledge can have some utilitarian value. It can be used for our day-to-day, our various uh, day-to-day activities. That knowledge can be used in the form of technology. The same thing. Rig Veda speaks of the mantras rhymed in meters. It's the poetry. Sama, the mantras which were meant for singing. Sama Veda. Sama was sung. Yajur Veda, the mantras are in the prose form. And Atharva Veda had the utilitarian value. That all the details of the rituals, like Upanayana, that initiation into learning, marriage ceremony, funerals, all the rituals pertaining to that comes from the Atharva Veda. And even some speak of the magic, all sorts of uh, the dark knowledge. That's also, it also has some utility as Atharva Veda. All the utilitarian knowledge is Atharva Veda. So this was the entire gamut of knowledge. But now to study this encyclopedia of knowledge, you should have some preliminary skills. You cannot just directly enter into to study the encyclopedia. Why? 
just even in the present to go to the higher knowledge. First, we have in the junior classes, we have to develop certain skills so that when we go to the higher classes or to the university, we can understand with the base on the basis of all the things which you have learned in school. So in those days, <clears throat> these Vedas are the something which was to be studied in the university. Now before that in the school, to study that Vedas, to understand those Vedas, there are six auxiliaries, Vedangas, that had to be studied first. Unless you have studied those six Vedangas, auxiliaries to the Vedas, it is almost impossible to understand the Vedas. So what are those auxiliaries which first has to be studied? That also is included in the Aparavidya. What are they? Shiksha, Kalpa, Vyakarana, Nirukta, Chanda, Jyotisha. These are the six. So what are they? This Shiksha. Shiksha is the science of pronunciation. It is very important in Sanskrit that if you mispronounce, the entire meaning will change. The total meaning changes. There are so many words, just, just a little mispronunciation will change the meaning. So the science of pronunciation was very important in the Vedas. Though the spelling may be same, but the way you pronounce, that will give different meanings. So that's why the Siksha deals is the science of pronunciation. That when you are studying the Vedas, how to pronounce the word. That whether the syllable is Udatta, Anudatta. So all this science was is mentioned in the auxiliary called Shiksha. Kalpa is the science of rituals. You have to pronounce the mantras correctly. And then you should know the science of the rituals to do the yajyas. And the third thing is Vyakaran, the grammar. Unless you know the grammar, again, it is almost impossible to decipher the meaning of the Vedas. So, Shiksha, Kalpa, Vyakarana. <clears throat> Next comes the Nirukta. Nirukta means the etymological meaning of words. To know the etymological meaning of the words is something very essential to understand the philosophy of the Vedas. Throughout the world, if you have to, if you find, if you can know that how the words have evolved, just by having the knowledge of how the words evolved, you can have the knowledge of the philosophy of that society. Just jokingly, we say so many times that in Bengali, we say that if any child is not very intelligent, is a bit dull, we say kabla, buddhu, that how inside the word, the what is in the, in the inherent meaning is hidden. That what very interesting, that in Sankhya philosophy, they say that when you get liberated, when you go beyond the mind, you reach the state of kevala, then you realize that you alone exist as the conscious principle by your own right. You don't need the crutch of the mind and senses. So kevala purusha. So from the kevala purusha, the word kaivalya came. You reach the state of kevala. So you are kaivalya. When it happens, when you go beyond the mind. And this child is a bit dull. His mind doesn't work. So he's already beyond the mind. So it is an ironical statement. But see, even in such queer words, slang words, 
the philosophy is hidden. The entire Sankhya philosophy's idea is hidden in that small word Kabla, that this boy seems has no mind. He has already gone beyond the mind because he has reached the state of Kaivalya. So he's Kabla. Buddhu, he has become Buddha. He has gone beyond the state of mind, like Buddha. So his mind, that Nirvana. Nirvana is the stopping of the mind and the senses. The mind and the senses has been extinguished. That takes you to the realization. So he has gone beyond the mind and senses. This is Buddha. So just we will find that then this Chitta Vritti. Chitta Vritti. The word Vritti, we, we loosely translate as the mind, the waves of the mind. But the word Vritti doesn't mean waves. It means profession. A doctor's Vritti is that's, uh, he's a doctor. Engineer's Vritti is he's an engineer. It's profession. Then why this Chitta, the word Vritti has been used? Again, you will find the philosophy is hidden. That just the way my profession sustains me, a doctor sustains himself by his profession. An engineer sustains himself by his profession. A businessman sustains himself by his profession, whatever will be the profession. Similarly, the mind can be sustained as long as the waves are there. If the waves are not there, immediately it will go to the the chitta vritti nirodha, then what's the next thing happens? Swa, swarupe avasthanam. You get established in your real nature. It's only the vritti which sustaining the mind, not allowing to go beyond the mind. So now you will understand the word vritti, though it means profession, but we are using for the waves. Why? Because this is the, the waves of the mind are like the profession of the mind by which the mind is sustained. The mind otherwise won't be sustained. It falls off. So now you will understand to know the etymological meaning of the words is so important. It gives you the entire philosophy. So that was a branch of the science called Nirukta, where the etymological meaning of the words were studied. Chanda. Now, in Sanskrit, the rhyming is not like the rhyming of uh, English poems, you can say. In English poem also, of course, there is a, there's a rhyming with meters, but mainly in other cultures, we find rhyming is by ending a sentence with the same type of word as in the previous sentence. So if it is cat, then the next sentence ends with bat. So like that. But in Sanskrit, the rhyming was wonderful. It's not the last word by which they used to rhyme. They'll find exact number of syllables in each phrase. Just like Bhagavad Gita, almost the entire Bhagavad Gita, not all, a few are of different chanda, but 99% of the slokas of Bhagavad Gita is Anushtup chanda. What's that? There are total four phrases in each sloka. Two lines, each line has two phrases. So total comes four phrases. And each phrase will have exactly eight syllables. Exactly eight syllables. And that is Anushtuk Chanda. And these are the Chandas even now we will find in the Western world, the students, uh, even the Westerns in so many schools, they are going for this memorizing of these slokas because they find it is this rhyming, not of the words, last word, rhyming of the syllable, which actually nourishes our 
memory. The faculty of memory gets very strong when you try to memorize anything in with proper meters. And they have, knowing that science, now we'll find that in Germany, in many other Western countries, that they have made a part of their syllabus. They're studying the Sanskrit uh, slokas, they're chanting. And that itself was a science, this chanda in meters, the Gayatri. The Gayatri is, is actually not only one mantra. Gayatri is actually a chanda. But that chanda is that there will be three in each uh, mantra, there will be three phrases, and each phrase again will have eight syllables. And very interesting, there are so many Gayatris. The mantra which we know as Gayatri is an exception of Gayatri. There is not exactly eight syllable in all the phrases. There's an exception of Gayatri, but that has become famous as Gayatri. So very, very interesting. So any mantra like, just as we, we say that, uh, uh, just for uh, Ramakrishna, we have our made our Gayatri that what's that Ramakrishnaya Vidmahe Gadadharaya Dhimahi Tanno Hansa Prachodayat. So if you see, there will be exactly eight syllables in each of these three lines. It actually speaks of worshipping the spirit by the spirit. All the Gayatri mantras are indicated for that. The first line indicates the external form. The seven I say Ramakrishnaya Vidmahe Ramakrishnaya Vidmahe Exactly eight. Gadadharaya dhimahi, exactly eight. Tanno hangsa prachodayat, exactly eight. So what actually this Gayatri speaks of? Any Gayatri, I'm just taking this, it immediately came to my mind. The first line speaks of the external form. That I see, I know it. Vidmahi means I know. But through my mind and senses, what I know is not the exact knowledge. It is just a projection. Behind it is its real reality. That I am dhimai, that I am meditating upon the real reality. Just like for the uh, Durga mantra, also the same thing that Kanya Kumari dhimai, Katyayanaya dhimai, Katyayanaya vidmahi. Means the Durga is the daughter of Rishi Katyayana. So that's the outer form, that's the physical form, but that is not the reality. She is actually Kanya Kumari, means eternal virgin. God cannot in no way be tarnished. Nothing can affect that absolute reality. So Kanya Kumari just, just doesn't mean a small girl, a girl who is ever virgin. Nothing can contaminate the absolute reality. Nothing can, as Ramakrishna used to say, the sun, in the light of the sun, Someone is studying the scripture. Someone is forging, counterfeiting the coins. Does the sun get affected? No. So similarly, the absolute reality, nothing can contend. From that, the universe has been projected. So when I see it as a feminine form, it is the eternal virgin. Kanya, that's the real. The Katyayana actually is Kanya Kumari. The absolute reality. Tanno Durgi Prachodaya. Durgi means to overcome the obstacles through tapas. I have the faculty of tapas through which I can get rid of all the obstacles which is hindering my realization. So I invoke that strength within me. 
So it is a worship of the spirit by the spirit, all the Gayatris. So just see, and this Chanda was used in the entire Vedas. It's a wonderful science, the various meters used for rhyming. So unless you know these Chandas, it, again, it becomes very difficult to enter into the study of the Vedas. So because each Chanda resorts to particular type of intonations. And from that, you can get a broad knowledge. And then you can go to the specific meaning. So Chandas, the various meters used for rhyming. And lastly, the Jyotisha, the astrology to calculate the exact times of various Yajyas. It was so developed. Even now, we marvel at the Jyotisha. It was so developed. You know that so, so many practices were there. That after marriage, uh, you have to see that uh, the particular star, huh? Arundhati. The Arundhati star has to be seen. I was reading somewhere very interesting that Arundhati. Why? It is actually two nakshatras. Generally, we have the idea that the uh, there are so many sun like our sun around which the planets are moving. That's our idea that the entire universe constitutes of so many, the solar system as if the solar system again constitutes a galaxy. But just see the Rishis has such a minute observation. They found that Arundhati and the star which is accompanying it, Vashishta and Arundhati, they, these are the two stars, Vashishta and Arundhati, both are encircling each other. No one is static. That just generally we have the idea, the olden idea was that the husband is the one who is the center and the wife has to revolve around it. Whatever the whims and fancies of the husband is, the wife has to follow. To negate that idea, they have to see that after the marriage, the Arundhati's that and the Vashishta, that star has to be seen to make them aware of the fact that their lives are, are going to be complementary. They both have to complement each other. No one is greater, no one is smaller. Both have an important role. There has to be a synergy. There has to be a win-win situation for the marriage to really fructify, to, to really give you fulfillment, to take you to further spiritual evolution. There has to be complement, they have to complement each other. Just see Jyotisha. It is after the marriage, that star has to be seen. So you have to have the knowledge, they have calculated the exact time, when it can be seen, how it can be seen, and accordingly, the dates of marriages are fixed. There are sometimes you cannot see the Arundhati star in the sky. So most probably those are the dates which are avoided. The date are kept on those dates when it can be seen. So from that, the wonderful science of Jyotisha developed. So just see, these are the auxiliaries. After studying which, now you resort to the study of the Vedas. But these all, the Vedas had this, this, what, uh, this Upanishad is a part of Veda. This is a, one of the unique characteristics of the Vedas. All scriptures say that for the way to God is the scripture, believe in scripture. Vedas are the only, only scripture which say you have to go beyond the Vedas. These are all upper, lower. So these all which you have this pursuit of knowledge through the mind and the senses is apara. Then what is para? Athapara, yaya, tad aksharam adhigamyati. That higher knowledge is that which by which we can know the akshara. Akshara means 
that which is mutable is kshara. Akshara means that it is immutable. That which is immutable is the only sat in Sanskrit. Sat is described as trikal avadita, whose existence is not interrupted by any phase of time, past, present, future. It's always there, as in the eternal present, with no change. That's the akshara. So one, that which takes us to that adhigamana. The Sanskrit words are so interesting. Gamyate means to go, to physically travel from one space to another space. Adhigamana is very interesting. Adhigamana is not physically going from one place to other. It is actually getting established. Just sitting in one place, suddenly your ignorance falls off. The knowledge reveals. You're totally transformed as if you have traveled, not in space, not in space, but in time. In That ignorance has fallen off and in time I have traveled, sitting in the same place, relating to some higher dimension of my reality. And that is the para. So this para vidya that this has been spoken of, that actually transcends the Vedas. Now the question comes, if anything which is transcends the Vedas, how can it be the highest knowledge? It has no base. Its authenticity is gone. The script, it is something we are saying beyond the scriptures. But here comes the beauty of the idea that what it actually means, that going beyond the Vedas, Aksharam, that Shankaracharya will be nicely contending to that idea that in no way that this, that any knowledge which is outside the Vedas is futile and unacceptable. If you say, it's actually will be a wrong way to understand what is being indicated here. What actually it indicates, just today the time is over, just a common, uh, with an example you will understand. You have not tasted the mango, you have studied about the taste of mango. And that impels you, that motivates you to taste the mango. Now, till you have not tested the mango, all the knowledge was bookish knowledge. You are a knowledgeable person. You could have given a uh, one hour lecture on the test of mango. We have studied so many books. But the day you test the mango, the knowledge which comes reveals from it. Would you agree it has transcended all the knowledge which you have studied? In no way you can relate that knowledge with so many superfluous words. You can relate to that. So here also when it says that tat aksharam adhigamyate, it actually speaks of realization. Here again, Veda asserts to the fact that scriptures are not meant for mere make-belief. That you have to believe this, then you are liberated. No. Seeing is believing. You have to realize so that the knowledge becomes karatala amulakavat. Just like the way you have a fruit in your hand, you're seeing it as palpable as that. The knowledge becomes palpable unless and until that has happened. Knowledge is of no avail. That alone can help us to overhaul our personality, to become a jivan mukta. Unless that has happened, it's only mere intellectual academic knowledge. That's of no avail. And to establish this idea, this idea that this, the concept of paravidya, which has to be 
we have to transcend and mind our mind and senses to get established in that knowledge it must be done if we really want to make our life meaningful so to indicate that this line has been indicated we will again continue with the discussion of this significant phrase around which the entire upanishad is actually will be revolving atha para yayatad aksharam adhigamyate we will just have a bit more elucidation of this line before we proceed to the next mantra so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars